you sing that very often? Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think I've sung that for years. And I've, I've, looking at those words, I've not really taken a lot of notice of them before. I don't, I don't mean that in a weird sense of not wanting to, but that last verse, in the heavenly country bright, need thy no creator light. Thou its light, its joy, its crown. Thy its sun which goes not down. There forever may we sing hallelujahs to our king. Wonderful. There's, in heaven we won't need a created source of light. That Christ will be its light itself and we'll be surrounded by him. Wonderful. Shall we just sing? Shall we just read hymns tonight? Let's turn to the word of God again, shall we? Before we go into his, his message. Jude, we're going to be reading from Jude 24 and 25. Just a few verses that I want us to focus on. Glory to God, it says, is my title in the Bible. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Saviour, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, as we come to your word this evening, we pray that you would Open our eyes. We pray, Father, that you would speak into our lives and that this small book, Jude, and these few verses at the back end of it, Lord, I pray that you would make it a reality to our understanding this evening. That we would go away from here knowing more of the true God, knowing more of the wonderful Christ, and knowing more of the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this portion of scripture is probably one of my favourite benedictions. We used to say a little bit of a benediction at the end of every sermon in the Methodist circuit. And it's always been one of my favourite endings to a, to a service. It's always been really one of my favourite doxologies. And in in reality, it's always been one of my favourite portions of the Bible. The writer is agreed by most scholars to be Jude or Judas or Judah, the the half-brother of Jesus. Who was he writing to? It doesn't really tell us who he was writing to in terms of a church or the the names of the people. But what we do know is from verse 1, he says this, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. He's writing to believers. 
He's writing to those who have been called by God, those who have been set apart by God, those who have been sanctified and will continue to be sanctified by God. And those who were to be preserved in Christ Jesus. And that's going to be our focal point of this evening's thoughts on this passage. The preservation of the saints in Christ. In reality, these people were just like you and me. No different. People who have been saved. People who God had spoken to. People who God had called together as an assembly. Spoke to our church last week. You know, we, we have this image, don't we, of churches, these four walls and this thing that belongs to us as a people. And actually, the church of God is one body under one head, Christ. So we're all the same. We're all called by God. We're all believers in Christ. And so just as this passage was written to whoever it was that Jude was writing to, this applies to us today. And very much so, I believe, in the day that we live, this is a very powerful, powerful portion of scripture. So what was his reason for writing it? Well, initially starts out by giving a general edification. He talks about our common salvation and it looks as if he's just going to go over the things about salvation, about what Christ has done. But then he moves in a, in a different, different direction. Verse 3 says this, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now I've got an underlying message that I want to give to you tonight, but I want us to just take this on board just for a few moments because this is something which is necessary for us to hear. Preachers, teachers, anyone who stands up and gives an exhortation in the pulpit must declare this to the people. It's necessary for us to be exhorted to contend earnestly for the faith. You know, we, I don't have to tell you the type of day that we're living in. A day which um, we were talking about in the back where, you know, people would stab each other in the back for a few pence. People have no sense of godliness, morals, and everything that was once held lofty is being changed around to man's opinion, man's thoughts. Now it's what seems good in the eyes of man, not what seems good in the eyes of God. And that's the day that we are living in, whether whether we're 85 or whether we're newly baptised like the, 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 the young girl that we baptised a few weeks ago at 11. That's what, that's the age that we're living in. And whether we're few in number, and I know I say that every time I come, 
or whether we're a full church, we, we have to, as Christians, contend for this faith. Not that we have to defend it with, with everything that we have in our own ability, but we contend for it by what God has given us. The word of God itself, the truth which we find within it. And so I just want to exhort you and exhort myself tonight, before we go any further, contend earnestly for the faith. Earnestly, with everything that you have, every fibre of your being. Don't let it just be something that's parked on the shelf. This has been a message and a, a way of life for years and years when you think back to the saints of old who were martyred, burnt to death, tortured for their faith. We, we don't have to put up with that type of thing at the moment. And they contended for it even under those hardships. And it's vital that we contend for it today. Jude goes on in verse 4 with a warning. False teachers have crept in among us. Certain men have crept in unnoticed, ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about apostasy both in the Old Testament and in the New. He speaks about those who deny and pervert what the scriptures proclaim about God and Christ, there and then in his day. False teachers and apostles were in and amongst those people who were breaking bread together, sharing in the love feasts. And again, I want to say it, it's no different today. Unfortunately, there, there are people which become very evident sometimes that may have been in the congregation for years that are actually these type of people that we're talking about. People who actually, even though they've professed Christ, act nothing like a Christian when the, when the rough times come. There are people who come into the church with the purpose of bringing in false doctrine. The purpose of trying to shake your faith. Purpose of trying to water it down. The purpose of trying to pull away Christ from the centre and put something else in its place. Jude warns against this. And that's part of this message. It was already happening amongst them. And they were warned that there was more to come. But he doesn't leave it all negative. He tells them that you have all that pertains to the common salvation. They have everything that they need. They're not lacking in anything. God has given them everything. The fellowship that they had together. The teachings. The Old Testament. 
And when he says earnestly contending for the faith, as we read at the back end of the book, he encourages them to continue on, for some will be saved. Even maybe some of those people who are in there trying to spread the false doctrine. Verse 23 says, But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Can you see how important it is for us to contend for the faith? I mean, we're not sat on these wooden seats. We're not sat on our lovely, nice, cushioned blue seats back in Jacksdale just to, to fill a bit of time in space. We're here for a purpose. We are here to contend for the faith. We are here for other people, both to pray, to witness, that we may pull them out of the fire. And that is a huge responsibility. And a responsibility, unfortunately, that some don't take very highly. They want to just sit there and relax. They want to just come and do the songs and the banter. To some, it's just a social club. But the reality is that Christ is building his church. The gates of Hades will not come against it. And if you're born again of the Spirit of God tonight, you are part of that. And you are part of pulling others out of the fire. The question is, how do we do that? How do we hold fast, if you like? through all the tribulations that we face, through all the hardships, through all the negativity that's out there when we preach on the streets. I was taking, again in the back telling Chris about Nick who went preaching up in Brussels area of Doncaster, asking, they started going out doing open air preaching, got smacked in the back by a Satanist yesterday. When Nick goes out in Sutton, when you guys go out in Belper, it's evident that people hate the gospel with a passion. Not just they're not interested, they hate Christ. They hate righteousness. They hate everything that God stands for. And we can very easily get down. We can very easily be pulled away from the, from the focus. But I believe this passage offers us Great hope, great assurance, and a great encouragement to carry on carrying on with the things that God has called us to do. We also have to realise that we are human beings. We, we are flesh and blood. Yes, we're saved, but we still have that old flesh that we're living in that we're tempted, that we do get down sometimes. What is it that protects us from ourselves? What is it that protects us from others? What is going to stop us from getting drawn into that falsity that somebody may come in from behind this pulpit and speak? What's going to, what's going to stop that? What's going to prevent us from falling for it? Well, Jude gives us the answer. In verse 24, and for the rest of the time that I've got, that's what I want us to focus on. 
I'm going to split it down into four or five different keywords or phrases. And we're going to look at it together and see what God is saying to us today. First of all, in verse 24, we read this one single word. Now. Now. And this is a very important word. And it's at a very important stage of the letter. Now Jude's not talking about a point in time like now. When he says it, he's saying it with some authority and he's saying it as a statement. After everything that he's just put in his letter before, he's saying, right, stop, listen to what I'm going to say next. Paul uses it in Romans in a similar way in 16, 25 and 26. He says, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept since the world began, but now made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. It's really a pivotal word. It's like the rest of what is going to be said can either go that way or that way, depending on on how you respond to it, how you hear it. And it changes the context of of, of everything that he's been saying, or it changes the emphasis is probably a better way of putting it. It moves your attention from the problem to God. Now. It's like a lens that we need to look through in all the troubles and persecutions and temptations and struggles with sin. Look through the lens of what I'm going to say to you next. Stop, pause, consider what's to follow. Then we move on. Now to him. To him. Who is the him? Well, you may say, well, that's quite a silly question. We know who the him is. It's obvious. But I want to suggest that even though it's vital that we keep the gospel very, very simple in terms of how we declare it to people, we can sometimes make things too simple as Christians and not look deep enough into the things of God. We just take it all on face value or we take it as a, as a milky statement and actually we don't get into the meat of what is actually being said. If we under-evaluate God, we'll start to find ourselves in all sorts of theological problems and difficulties. Luther wrote to Erasmus in his Bondage of the Will, and he said this, Your thoughts of God are too human. Too human. And I want to suggest that we have that problem as well. We're so churched, we're so flippant about the way that we see things and say things 
And we don't really stop sometimes and think what's actually being said. God tells us repeatedly in his word that he is not like man. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. To him, him, that's what he's saying. That him who's in verse 25, the omniscient one, the omnipresent, the almighty, the omnipotent, the self-existent. That's who he's talking about. We started doing um, a new theology session at Jacksdale called Theology That Sings. We've done two, I think three sessions now. And the guy that leads it, Nathan, he, he brought a saying that, that I thought was extremely funny and extremely helpful. Um, gigawan. It's not even a word. But what it stands for is God is God and we are not. And we can turn that into a more pointed statement. Gigayan. God is God and you are not. Or even closer. Gigayan. God is God and I am not. And we need to understand what that's saying. He is lofted high in the heavens. And we cannot even begin to understand him. Some people want to try and explain away everything. Some people want to take out portions of this scripture because it doesn't line up with what they think. God can't be like that. God's not angry every day against the wicked. We're dealing with a high God here. When I was thinking about this, uh, for some strange reason, I thought about Shakespeare and how he holds that thing up. I can't even remember the play now. To him. That's what he's saying now to him. (coughs) To be glory. (laughs) Majesty. Dominion. Power. Both now and forevermore. That's the God that he's talking about. Can you feel what he's saying? Do you see God like that? Do I see him like that? And he moves on. This him. Now to him who is able. Now what Jude doesn't say is now to him who is capable. He says something far more positive and far more accurate about God than just the fact that he is capable. And again, far too many people just look to God who is capable of doing something. If only we ask him and try and twist his arm, he he is capable, he might do, he might not. We're not looking at a God who has a a level of a skill set 
that can, you know, maybe fashion out that that lovely piece of carved wood there. We're talking about a God who we've just been explaining. This omnipotent, omnipresent, self-existent God who is able. He's not like a man who's just competent in several languages. He's not like a man who has a willingness to do something, but then decides, well, actually, I don't want to. This is a God who in his omnipotence has infinite power. That's power that we can't measure. Never ending, never beginning, just infinite. Beyond measure. So how we phrase this section, for me, is is extremely important. Now to him who is able, or now to him who is able. It totally gives a different focus on what's being said. Matthew 19, 26, the disciples have said, who can be saved? What was Jesus' response? With men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Let's just remind ourselves of this. We are unable, totally. We might be able to cook well, we might be able to sing well without an instrument, might be able to speak several languages, we might be academically bright. But when it comes to things of God, we're totally unable. Romans tells us clearly where we stand. And so in our ability, we are and we must be totally reliable upon his ability. Totally reliable in everything. And Jude had experienced this for himself. He was the half-brother of Christ. He was one of those who went and started knocking on the door and say, come on, come out, your family's here, come and see to us. And then what, is, what does he tell us about himself here? He tells us that he is now a bondservant of Christ. That's the change that Christ makes. That's the ability that God has to take a man and move him from there to there. That's what's brought you here tonight. That's what brought me here tonight. God's ability to change a life. Paul again concurs with this in Romans 16. He is able. But he goes further than that in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. He says this, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded, that's convinced, that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. He's able. That means he will do it. No questions asked. He will. Not is he. Because we are not able. He is able. 
And there's two things that Jude focuses on, and this is the, these are the things that we're going to finish on. God's able to do all things. But two things he points out here. First of all, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling or from falling. A better rendition of that is to keep you unfallen. And I think that's very powerful. To keep means to provide protection from external attack. He is our shield. He is our fortress. He is our deliverer. He is our defender. Hendrickson, the commentator, says this, fully aware of the danger of falling into temptation and being attacked by sin, Jude tells the Christian to put their trust in the almighty God. We have a part to play in this, don't get me wrong. We are the ones that need to mortify the deeds of the flesh. But how are we able to do that? We are able to do it in his strength, not in ours. He's the one that keeps us from falling and stumbling. Do you know that? Or are you still thinking that you can walk through this life and that you can turn the other cheek, that you can turn your head away, that you can stop those thoughts that go through your mind? No, he's the one that ultimately stops us from falling into that sin that we've been saved from. In context here, the power of God in Christ would sustain the believer from falling into the apostasy that he'd already been speaking about in the previous verses. If God was not working in your life and in my life, we would be no different to those out there. No different to those who hit Nick in the bag. No different to those who scoff and mock at you when you're out in Belper. No difference at all. But it's God that keeps us. Let me read this song. We sing this regular at Jacksdale. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious measure sung by flaming tongues above. Oh, the vast, the boundless treasure of my Lord's unchanging love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He he, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. O oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. And listen, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. 
Is that it? Do you get a sense of that in your own life? Or, or are we just kidding ourselves that we can walk through and we, we don't feel that? I want to read it again. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The only way out of that, take my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it from my courts above. That's what Jude's talking about. That's what he's talking about. Another song that we sing. I didn't realise it, but it is an old song that's been made new. But these are the words. When I fear my faith will fail. Pause. He will hold me fast. When the tempter will prevail. He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. But he will hold me fast. That should stop us dead in our tracks and want us to get down on our hands and knees and praise him for what he's done. But he takes it on even further. The second thing that he is able to do is to present you faultless before his glorious presence. Not only does he sustain you in this life, not only does he sustain me in this life, but he, pre- pre- he presents us faultless before his glorious presence. We've prayed, haven't we, and recognised that we are sinful people. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a good person like me. A wretch. And each and every one of us identifies with that song, whether we like it or not. And that's what makes this so unbelievable and yet so wonderful. That through Christ, from before the very foundation of the earth, God had a plan to put together a people for himself that he would save, that he would wash clean as snow. And that one day you will be able to present that people, even though they have been through the filthiest coal mines of life, spotless, clean, faultless. That's how we will appear. And we're not only going to stand before him in awe, but we're going to be standing before him with exceeding joy to present us faultless before him with exceeding joy. That's what's in front of us. That's what God has done for us in Christ. That is what he has purchased for us. 
So what's Jude saying to these people? He's saying what it says on the tin. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, but not only that, to present you, filthy sinner, faultless before his presence, his presence, which is glorious with exceeding joy. May God help us to understand what that fully means and take it on board so that we can praise him more and so that we can actually live this life with an assurance that he is God and that he will do what he has said he will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for everything that it does, that it not only makes our heart flutter, but it also challenges, chastises at times, brings us in line. And it's like a a rod at times, Father, that corrects a child. And we thank you for it. And and I ask that you'll give us a, a hunger to know it more. Not only to know intellectually, Father, but to have it as a compass for our lives. Lord, for the knowledge that this passage brings, we, we owe you everything. Nothing in our hands can we offer, but you have done it all. And we are grateful. And we ask, we ask you that you would help us in this time that we live, to honour you, to be earnest for the gospel, to know, Father, that you are sovereign in all things and that you have everything in control. No matter what we see around us, Father, we know that you're working all things together for the good of those who love you. Father, your name be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen.